So as the resident Christian of the channel, I've been selected to introduce this story. And lest anyone uh, be in any doubt as to whether this uh, country is a Christian country anymore, it's not. Christians close to falling below 50% in England for the first time. So atheists now account for more than a third of faith groups, according to government analysis. Yeah, we I'm not do. sure atheists should really be classed as a faith group. No, we no we're not. It's, it's not. It's <laughs> like a lot of job descriptions and job applications, not that I would know because I'm definitely not looking to leave my current employment in any conceivable way. Um, but certainly they used to um, do it, say, like, what religion are you? And atheist was an option. And they have improved recently because they say none instead of atheist because atheist is by definition not a faith group. It could be loosely argued to be a faith position in the sense that a negation is a position of a thing on a thing. But no. But as, as the resident atheist on the channel, suck it. <laughs> well... I'm not so sure you should be so happy because um, as many public, quite public atheists, uh, Douglas Murray comes to mind, for example, um, a, a lot of people who still can't quite bring themselves to believe, mostly on the conservative end of the spectrum, uh, are willing to accept that if Christianity goes the way of, you know, all the ancient religions, which are no longer with us, although <laughs> the rise of paganism is a whole other video, um, we lose certain things which we might not want to lose, a certain way of looking at the world, a certain moral grammar. Um, but that's by the by. Uh, just over half the population in England and Wales, some 51%, uh, the Telegraph reports, reported their religion as Christian in 2019, a decline of nearly 8.3% since the 2011 census, the last time a comprehensive survey of the nation's different religions took place. The results of the next census will be published next year, and I wonder um, what percentage uh, of Muslims there are now. Yeah, because I, I suspect that atheists may be on the rise, but I'm quite sure there will be a an actual religious group rising to fill this gap. And it yeah, and atheists don't dramatic. fight very good wars because you've never fought a war. So. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. In the French Revolution, was was fairly successful in at least one aspect. Yeah, not so much of a war as a sort of, you know, slaughter. There's a difference. No, it was so effective. It didn't even need to fight a war. It's more of a purge. Yeah, it didn't have particularly good consequences, though, did it? No, but then they, they, they supplanted it with another form of secular religion, which is... um. Yeah, the goddess reason. Yeah, Reason with a capital um, R, which is notably quite unreasonable. Uh, unreasonable, yes. <laughs> Uh, the most detailed government analysis in over a decade, the Office for National Statistics, published data showing that no religion, including not stated, was the second most common response in 2019, rising from 323 to 38.4% of the population. Uh, the figures come as the Church of England tries to rebrand itself to attract new worshippers in what the Archbishop of York, the Most Reverend Stephen Cottrell, has dubbed a simpler, humbler, bolder vision for the institution's future after most key measures of church attendance fell by 15 to 20% from 2009 to 2019. And if I may, I'll just have a, a couple of brief preliminary observations about this. Um, first of all, trying to rebrand yourself to get down with the kids does not attract the kids. That's what they're trying to do in plain English, and it doesn't work. I speak uh, from experience. I know it's only anecdotal, but I know plenty of other people my own age, Christians, many of whom, like me, uh, converted to Christianity from a position of, of atheism. Um, and what we are craving, Church of England, I hope you're listening, is tradition, is seriousness, is something that attaches us to the past and to something that feels worthy of belief in God. 
the creator of all things. Not, for example, this, which happened in Rochester Cathedral uh, a number of years ago <laughs> now, well, two or three years ago. Golf courses in our cathedrals, um, Saints Cuthbert oh, and no, all they, the other saints captioned it fairway rolling to in their graves. Fairway oh, to heaven. God. Well, that's the BBC. Crazy golf for crazy people might have been my cheap offering, but... They also put a helter-skelter in (laughs) another of the cathedrals. Um, It would make Jesus' second coming so much more interesting. The bollocks are being beamed down from heaven. Send him down on a helter-skelter. Yeah, and so far as it would resemble a Family Guy episode... so that's that's that um, well, this, part of the rebranding. Go, go back to the, the initial BBC one for a minute, because there's a couple of things as well that stand out to me. In the first place, it's it's saying that no religion um, is on, is the fastest rising, but no religion also includes not stated, and those are two completely different things. Yeah. Well, yep. Why there, there is no reason to automatically assume that people who don't state have no religion, because you know, anyone who's taken five minutes looking at the recent sort of sociological studies of the secularization of Britain will know. Um, you'll remember it if you've ever done it as a GCSE, for instance, that not stated can include a huge number of different, weird, slight, not even, it's not really pagan because it lacks the sort of the animal spirit in every sense of the term. But, you know, the rise of vague spiritualism and vague consumerist spiritualism, crystals and tarot cards and all of this slightly wacky seance type nonsense. That a lot mm. of that will fit into not stated. People who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. In other words, people who just don't have the, the intellect to have a conviction. Um, so that's that's one thing. In the second place, there, there's a difference between people self-describing themselves as being belonging to a church, for instance, say Christianity, and attendance on the ground, which I tend to think is, a, is it's not a necessarily more accurate reflection, but it's certainly a more useful reflection in some ways because there is, of course, a difference between just vaguely saying you belong to a thing or you were baptized into a thing therefore for official reasons you are a thing and actually enacting your belief in said thing by going to church for instance and church attendance particularly in the church of england has been plummeting and plummeting and plummeting it's it's roughly about the seventh no it's fifth circle of hell at the moment there's a couple left to go uh where it finds that there's no one One. left uh one well one um maybe it's invented a seventh um, <laughs> so there's, there's that as well and then the third one I was going to say which is that I don't, you know, I know I said suckered at the beginning, I don't particularly like the fact that the Church of England is debasing itself in this way, there are lots of lovely things the liturgy, the uh, Cramer prayer book, the King James version of the Bible um, some of the older more traditional Christmas carols but none of the new stuff, that's all quite nice that's the kind of thing that people enjoy that's what they go to church for not rebranding and introducing vague sort of happy clappy rap music in, yeah it, it's just so cringe we had a lecturer we both went to the same uni i don't know if you ever had this guy and he used to um he played guitar and sang and released his own albums and it was the worst kind of kitsch modern christian crap the kind of thing that you hear in mega churches in the united states for instance it's so cringy and I don't know why they've latched onto the idea. It is like an old person trying to be young. There is n- almost nothing more painful and cringy than that. But this is the thing that the Church of England seems to have identified as it's uh, it's more of a saviour for the Church of England than God and Jesus is, which is well, not it's, um, the right it, way about. It, it's extra sad in a way because the Church of England, whether you're religious or not, um, undeniably has shaped so much of the character of this country for, what, four, five hundred years now. Um, and to see it treated in this manner. And, you know, uh, Stephen Cottrell, he says here, 
a simpler, humbler, bolder vision. There is nothing humbler to take just one of these words. There's, there, there is there is nothing humble about um, deeming yourself so important in the present, you know, in our contemporaneous situation, um, so important as to be able to dismiss centuries of tradition. That there's nothing humble about that. In, on the contrary, it's extremely uh, e- egotistic. Um, and just to go back to my other point about you know rebranding and attracting the young and the fact that it doesn't uh, for anyone listening i really recommend a short little essay by t.s Eliot called thoughts after lambeth i think it was after the 1927 lambeth conference and Eliot sort of reported on it and read an essay about it and he says towards the end uh, he was saying this then um let alone now because we don't really have any t.s Eliot's around now would that we did but he was saying this then. He said that young people, you might think, as in the older generation, that they, they don't want what you have. But on the contrary, any young person who actually has the intellect or the will or the spirituality to specifically go seeking for a religious tradition, not instead of the mumbo-jumbo you just avert to, is after discipline. They want discipline. They want... Um, Asceticism, though I say they they want that. That's what they're after. It's what I was after and am after, uh, to some extent. I'm not very good Christian. I am a sinner, just like the rest of us. But that's what young people want, and it's the reason that uh, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Orthodox Church uh, in Britain, I can't speak for other countries, has not suffered anywhere near as badly uh, in ch- in terms of church attendance. I think they have experienced the Catholic Church. I think has certainly experienced. Um, uh, in- increases in church attendance relative, however, to its own long-term decline in, in this country. I, I could get, that could be wrong, but I think that's pretty much where it stands. Yeah, it's the- increasing in, and particularly in the metropolitan areas, because these are the only areas, particularly in London, where uh, the Church of England, for example, is increasing its attendance. Um, but not coincidentally, minorities, yes, exactly. It's increasing its immigrants, attendance in areas they, with they, high they, rates of immigration, and by and large... Who are more religious. The only the only real resurgence in Christianity that's in evidence in this country um, is a kind of mix of African Presbyterianism, and, and African Christianity has always been odd. It's always had this peculiarly... It's had a peculiar dalliance with the older animist religions... Um, or faiths, or whatever you might want to call them, in, in the nations and the territories in which it grew up, um, and it has a it has a fundamentally different flavour. I don't think that you know that not making that as a value judgment, just observing it as a as a fact. Um, I wonder how recent that is. Though. Different set of values, different set of priorities, different attitude generally to what Christianity is and should be. Notably, as well, very different social values. So. They're not very fond of the gays over in Africa, and African Christians are probably the least fond of the gays. Um, well, archbishops, archbishops for some years now. I mean that that is the one problem they've they've had to deal with, and mm. you know everyone remembers Rowan Williams yeah, at the Lambeth conference he attended. Um, the, the the mainstream secular press only reports on the gay issue, uh, even though it's like it, it actually occupies a vanishingly small portion of the the talking time but yeah i mean that's what everyone focuses on but well, no, for but good that, reason, that, that was a, there was another reason for that and it wasn't just that it occupied actually it did occupy a large part of the, the talking time the, the big one of course was when the uh church in the united states which is much much more liberal by and large than churches in even in europe but much more liberal than churches in africa uh took it upon itself to i think it was to recognize and accept gay marriage um there was an issue with women in the clergy as well at the time and by virtue of doing this, 
put Rowan Williams in an impossible situation because the Synod, the Anglican community broadly, had to have a unified position. He wasn't able to say, well, okay, in America you can do your thing, and in Africa you can do your thing, and we take no position. No, he had to give a unified church thing on it. So the reason this took so much media attention was that there was a real prospect of African churches, because they were threatening to do this, walking out of the Anglican community, a kind of schism that yeah. nobody in this country would notice, but would actually and it's, be it's quite worth um, It's quite remarkable and worth commenting upon that... Uh, it, oh, I forget the name of the... I forget the name of the um, Archbishop Canterbury at the time, uh, 70s it was, I think, in maybe early 80s. Um, but anyway, throughout the late 60s, 70s and early 80s, I think roughly that period, the Orthodox Church was in serious dialogue with the Anglican Church because for historical reasons they've gotten on quite well because they both don't like Rome, um, for union. They, they seriously were, were you know... They, they, one doesn't want to overstate it, but, you know, they liked each other a lot. And when the Church of England decided to ordain women, the Orthodox were like, nope, we don't have anything to do with you anymore. And I've personally met people, including one Orthodox priest, who left the priesthood of the Church of England for just that reason. Because this is what the Church of England does. It 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 wrings its hands and says nice, compassionate things about synodality and doing things together in compassion. But it doesn't actually pay much attention to what the rest of Christendom is doing. And I use Christendom there, obviously, in the loosest No, and it's sorted as well, because it, it, in, invariably it devolves into the political and so on. The, the, the gay marriage issue, for instance, or the general morality of, of homosexuality, no matter how nice Rowan Williams might be personally, no matter how many nice things he might have said personally or in his capacity as head of the Church of England, when it comes to the American churches saying, OK, we're going to pursue this to its logical extent, politics forced him to condemn them um, rather than continue to speak with the the courage of his convictions and again that's not a good look the church of england whenever it comes under pressure in any respect backs down and that's not what people by and large go to churches for it's not what they you don't look to someone who caves at the slightest pressure they're no kind of leader they provide no kind of leadership um so there are many yeah. deep-seated reasons for the church being this way but it seems that you know, that was an unfortunate position that rowan williams was forced into the church of england now with its rebrand, I have a huge has chosen amount of respect for entirely rowan. of its own accord it's not no this hasn't been the church of england has not been forced into doing this since he was put in that position the church of england since voluntarily of its own volition decided it wants to go for this terribly modern rebrand and that's all on it you can't blame the african churches for that well, it's just become a, a social services wing, to be quite frank. It's so it's so and not a very good one, given that it buggers all the children who end up in its care. Well, not quite as severely as the Roman Catholics, but no. Uh, yeah, no. I mean that that it, it has been a problem, continue to be a problem, probably. But uh, no, I mean that I I I do not know the details. I'm not an expert, but it's been in the news recently, and in, in the Spectator, in particular, have covered uh, done a lot of good stories on this. The fact that. Um, the Church of England is basically restructuring, which is a horrible word for anyone who hates bureaucracy to hear. Um, it's literally closing down a number of parish churches, as far as I know, and it's basically sacking a number of parish priests and centralizing. And in this way, it, it, it's basically um, doing what the police did to themselves. Um, where I live, um, there is a beautiful purpose-built police station. It was the only police station in the county that was built to be a police station, apparently, um, or certainly the you know the surrounding area. And all of it was centralised in Chelmsford, um, and I think 
that's what's happening to the Church of England, centralization, centralization, centralization. So basically they're dismantling the parish system, the very system that has sustained our literature, our, you know, our, our way of, it, it, it's, it's hard to overstate just how important the parish system has been to this country and its layout and the way it functions. But it makes it less relevant, not more, when it does this, because it's historically been quite a localised church. If you don't have the all-powerful monarch as head of church, we have a monarch as head of church, but it's, Elizabeth II is, no, the current queen, is not the same type of head of church as, say, Henry VIII was. So there isn't really this, this very politically powerful and assertive figure at the top of it. It makes it essential that it is more local and it's always been more local everyone has stories about the the kind of quirky weirdos who end up running their local parish churches they're always the characters in the village or historically always have been everyone above a certain generation will be able to tell you a story about the drunk vicar or the vicar who's in his hands doing missionary work where yeah. they shouldn't have been um well one has only to ways. read ronald blythe's Aikenfield, yeah and if which you is centralize it as the church of england is, is now planning on doing then you just you take away even that the problem is already too much centralization it, it actively much like political parties do it filters out character when it comes to select people to take up these cynicas and so that there's no it's, it's already too centralized to say that more centralization is the answer to the problems of centralization and putting more power in the hands of wets like justin welby is just it's you can see why it's in decline and why it will continue to be in decline unless it gets a huge influx of african christians who don't believe what the church of england believes anyway it will become a very different church if that happens yeah and it's worth um i i should say by the way that the 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 desire to become simpler and humbler and bolder if that desire is genuine is one i actually agree with i i Christians can feel. I, th I think there's a tendency among social conservatives who are sympathetic with Christianity or who are themselves Christians to fetishize Christendom as if it actually had anything to do with the Gospels. Christians, when it doesn't. Fetish. Well, <laughs> but it, it doesn't. It, it absolutely doesn't. And I'm speaking for myself here, although no doubt some people will agree with me. I hope um, that Christianity oughtn't. You know, the, the moment it made a pact with the devil, the moment Constantine, you know became christian and was supreme emperor of, of rome you know that that that, that was the the beginning of the sort of uh, dichotomy the tension that you've got running throughout christian history which is cultures influenced by this beautiful moral message containing the gospels i would argue mm -hmm. but at the same time having to accommodate themselves to temporal power and thereby corrupt themselves so to my mind the simpler and humbler and bolder a church can be um the better but but that's not the same as saying that you need to water the message down on the contrary you, you you need to take it more seriously you need to become more radical in your christian faith um this is not what's going on in the church of england yeah, i mean the bishop of woolwich was in the 1960s right the bishop of woolwich and he was preaching um something akin to agnosticism then i mean look how far it's come <laughs> that, that's so you just go up a couple of paragraphs um Dave Mayle, Director of Evangelism and Discipleship for the Church of England, said it's, oh, encouraging. That shouldn't exist. it's encouraging that in an age where people are less likely to automatically class themselves as Christian, more than half the population still do. That's that's a really wow, that's, weak uh, line. It's like it's encouraging it that we're we're dying, but at least you know <laughs> some of us are still some of us are still just about clinging on. That's yeah, just... and look, the the bureaucratic mindset sort of um, is is evident in the next paragraph. So we know from research, yeah, not they focus everything... grouped it. That's what they did. Yeah, they they focus grouped it. It's, Younger it's... generations are willing to engage with faith. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. Yep, okay. I mean... True. Fair enough. Yeah, outdated. But again, I mean... I wonder I wonder when the humanists would crop up because if there's any group that does deserve to be described as religious on the census it is it is uh <coughs> the, the humanists who um well I have my own opinion on the human on on that organization well the organization is is not pretty humanists terrible, themselves but um it spends yeah, all its time I, I, commenting on politics which is why one of the reasons it doesn't really get anywhere and the Church of England is the same thing we've got one of the other links open haven't we about Justin Welby doing essentially the same thing. Humanist UK, if it focused on solely humanistic issues and stopped trying to expand its remit to cover modern political things like Brexit, which about which it has lots to say, yeah. without trying yeah. to involve itself in, for instance, the abortion debate, as though the only humanist position is to say, yes, you can abort people up until the point at which they're born and preferably afterwards. No, that's, indeed... that's not a humanist position. There are humanist yeah. arguments against abortion, for instance. Humanism has a lot to say, but it it doesn't lend itself very easily to an organization anyway. And like all organizations, it conforms to uh, Sullivan's second law, which is that you know, any organization not constitutionally right-wing becomes left-wing over time. Humanist UK is just a left-wing uh, That's not Sullivan's. No, it is, is Sullivan's. It? It's frequently misattributed to Robert oh. Conquest, but it began there with Sullivan are. at the Daily Telegraph, I think it was. Didn't know that. Um, well, no, my, my own sort of um, chief base fundamental uh, disagreement with Humanist UK is that they should be called Secular Humanist UK because then they'd at least be being honest. Um, there is a long tradition of Christian humanism, uh, Erasmus, anybody, Montaigne, and they exclude them as if they didn't exist in the same way that they exclude, as you say, humanists who disagree with abortion. Well, I had an argument with them, their representatives somewhere on social media quite recently. I, I can't was remember this Andrew what... Copson? No, I, might, I don't mind, but I don't think it was. I've met him. He's a nice enough guy. They were, um, they were talking about free speech and that they'd posted something like, and I think they'd posted a quote from Christopher Hitchens, funnily enough, about sort of the inviolability of free speech. And so someone underneath made the sense, <laughs> just was, you know, made the very sensible rebuttal says okay does this mean uh free speech on trans issues too and then they posted this really long and completely inane nonsensical reply which is like yeah no free speech absolutely without limits but free speech does not exceed uh, free speech must not exceed certain limits of course free speech and hate speech are different things we support free speech absolutely up until the point at which we don't and so I had to point out well, okay we, we support your right to hold any opinion that you like except that opinion or also in that one and that one as well it's it's just a lefty campaign group it's, it has nothing very much to do with humanism these days but the same thing is true with the Church of England so I don't know if you've got the other tab open but Archbishop Welby uh, as you know, he always comments on matters political. He can always be found opining on Brexit. Far too many of the bishops can be found opining on Brexit. And Welby has recently come out and criticised the Conservative Party yet again. This time for the Christmas parties. I don't know if you've still got that. Yes. Up. Before I before I click on that, I, I'm very sad to see that the Sikhs population has has fallen. I love Sikhs. They're fantastic. Yeah. But I like yes, them. Archbishop Canterbury uh, disappointed in the Tory staff photo at a. Christmas party last year. Yeah, and he, he's given this interview here. I don't know if it's worth playing a little bit of it because he's being asked questions like, does the Prime Minister need to be more honest and all the rest of it? And, okay, no, actually, on this one occasion, he might be chiming with the, the general opinion of the country. Most people would agree that Boris needs to be more honest. Most people don't like the Christmas parties. At the same time, this is just another instance of the archbishops who, who can otherwise be found saying that we need to decolonize Christ. Um, and has nothing else to say about Jesus particularly, but he's very keen to opine on these hot-button political issues, as he does here. I don't know if, it's, if where we are in the video, but it might be worth it. <laughs> I'm depressed already. What do you think? 
joy of being a journalist is I get to ask the question. <laughs> the joy of being an archbishop is I can tell you when I'm not going to. <laughs> well, he says earlier he comments uh, on the Christmas card. Oh, no. Is he going to carry on? Oh. That question. Um, one of the rules, you know, I do wear this funny bit of plastic. Yeah. And one of the rules for it is that you talk to people before you talk about people. And I have, in this extraordinary job, which I'm very privileged to have, I get to see... Yeah, you look privileged, given your back your surroundings here. It's a pastoral thing, and I'm not going to say what I say in pastoral conversations. Okay, but earlier, earlier in this video, he does explicitly level. come out and criticise the Conservative Party and that the pictures that emerged of the, the Christmas parties held by the Conservative Party, as it says here, he said he was disappointed to see the photo. Um, lots of people were, but the, the, the meta point being that he's very quick on these things. It was actually unusual of him to refrain from answering the question there, because normally he does. The Brexit debate saw this all the time. Bishops were constantly coming out and saying things. And when they talk about Brexit, for instance, when they criticise Conservative Party policy, as they quite often do these days, uh, when they say that we need to decolonize Jesus, when we need to reevaluate the history of racism within the church, when they go on board with all the kind of the woke social justice agendas. What they don't realize is that, okay, they talked earlier about there is an appetite among young people for uh, religiosity or for faith movements. That might be true, but historically the, the young have never been as keen on this as the old, and the church's core constituency is old people. And these are the people that they are offending and driving away precisely by these campaigns of modernization, precisely by intervening against the wishes and the values of their core constituents, but by and large who voted for Brexit, for instance, and who have no truck with this social justice wankery. It's it's pretending, it's trying to rebrand for an audience it doesn't know exists, or it doesn't know if the the audience, I'll, I'll start again. It is trying to capture an audience it does not know whether exists. Um, and in so doing, it is deliberately alienating itself from an audience that does exist and desperately wants it to be more like the church they recognized when they were young. And the fundamental mistake that underlies all of that is that they assume that the interests of the old and the interests of the young really are as different and insuperable as they are made out to be. But actually, as you mentioned the point about discipline, I refrain from making any joke about the desire for priests to discipline children with paddles. But um, you talk about discipline. Yeah, that's true. But that's true across generations. There are cross-generational trends, moves, motives, ideas, beliefs, desires. <laughs> They don't map so easily onto millennials and Gen Z, for instance, as we always pretend that they do. We are fundamentally human. We share family values. We are obliged to go out with our parents. Churches used to be community organizations, not factional organizations appealing to the youth culture. And until they go back to being community organizations that try and extol the commonality of communities rather than appealing to one faction as against the other, then they're never going to recover. And they won't ever attract young people because if there is a difference between old and young people, it's that old people are completely forgotten what it was like to be young which is why their marketing campaigns are so abysmal well said i mean uh, as a christian i'm obliged to put my faith in the holy spirit and and, <laughs> and yeah, that's a good I, marketing strategy and i do and um you know we a christian oughtn't to you know christians have got to remember that for the first 300 years of the faith more or less um you know it was a catacomb faith and it's going to be again. We just have to accept that in Europe, at least. Um, and it's undignified to flail about and 
pretend that it's not happening as the Church of England is doing and you know coming up with all these fancy gimmicks to to attract people and if people aren't attracted to it they're not attracted to it it's okay wait in the fullness of time all manner of things shall be well and so on and so forth just wait it's not the end age for god's sake it's not it's not the end of of, of the world you know uh, christ is christ he is risen and that's all there is to it and if people are looking for institutions church institutions to express that faith within um then they'll go to, as we'll see in a second, with a good comparison, they'll go to whatever communions they think best allow them to do that. But coming back to what you just said, um, yeah, no, I completely agree. What they're doing to alienate, what they are doing that is alienating the old is also, I would posit, alienating the serious young. I don't know what kind of a demographic they are appealing to. Presumably they're they're appealing to certain kinds of people I, i'm not sure they're the kinds of people who are the future of the church capricious um, middle management i think yeah yeah it's depressing and also you know you mentioned the point that they're community organizations and this was certainly my experience growing up you know i was baptized C of E and christened C of E, and i went to a C of E primary school and you know we went there i wasn't raised christian in any meaningful way but we went there on the the appointed days you know christmas and easter and so on uh, but now if you go there thanks to covid and they're the Church of England's total capitulation to the government's, or to Caesar's rather, um, lockdowns. Um, they're they're not very nice places to be. Uh, you sort of mm. you know made to wear a mask, and I don't Caesar know whether that's the case now. One of Boris's but, middle uh, names, isn't it? But um, no, I mean, I yeah. I, it won't be long before that before church every Church of England. Trust me, it will not be long before every Church of England church. Uh, requires uh, some form of COVID passport for entry. Oh, and that, almost certainly. But that then, will really kick the the congregations in the teeth. It will. I, I well, if they have any teeth left, given their <laughs> yeah, um, their dentures. dentures would probably be more accurate. No, uh, same thing. I, I was never bought a religious. Can't stand the doctrines of the faith. There's some lovely music though. I always used to have to go and sing in churches, and at least there were some bangers to sing. Um, the only Don't you at least that, grant that some of the doctrines are worth clinging to? Oh, not, the, not that you can't find better expressed elsewhere. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's fine. pretty, 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 pretty purely expressed in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, for example. I mean, I don't think you'd find a finer expression of unconditional love than uh, that. And, but, but just quickly, no. that you, you, you love Auden. You love Auden's poetry. I mean, you don't need to believe in the metaphysical aspects of it per se. But that moral purity, that that moral message, as expressed at least in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, that is agape in its purest expression. That is the kind of thing that animated Auden to write some of his most beautiful poetry. Um, Surely you can see yeah. something in that. Teach a man to fish, and he will fish for life. You don't, you don't just clone fish and hand them out willy-nilly to everyone on a mountainside. Didn't actually help many people actually learn to, uh, learn, learn to look after themselves. Still a slightly servile message comes out from... <laughs> No, no. The point is that the point the point I'm trying to make, without getting into too long of a thing about it, is is that uh, the 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 world in which that message was preached was not in any way a world that was receptive to that message. And insofar as that message has, you know, through a glass darkly trans why transmitted, so many, why did he have so many thousands of people to feed if the world wasn't already receptive to the message? Well. If, just if I may, it, that that message has filtered through the ages and and inspired some of the most profound and and well yeah pro profound acts of 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 love and self sacrifice and I don't think you should confuse where where the institutional aspects of Christianity ha have you know 
made their their often scurrilous mark with the purity of the the message. I, I think that is something to yeah. I, I suppose what I'm saying is, insofar as that message has influenced aspects of our culture and our moral heritage, moral heritage, we we can't lament the existence of of Auden's and of George Herbert's and so on. No, but equally, I, I'm not going to celebrate the thing that motive that, that prime the motive that primed them. Good for them. It's not my business. If you find this thing good, it's it's all yours. Just don't force it down my throat. It's the, the basic principle of secularism. Yes, it may have produced some good because some people like it and turned their pre-existing artistic talent to furthering the message that inspired them. Great, all for that. I don't Perfect. think you could seriously claim that you live in a country. Um, that does force it down your throat. And I don't think that's been the case in England for at least 200 years. No, but I, I didn't say that it did. Um, but the, the point, however, I was closing mm, on was yeah, that sorry. at least there were, if only to avoid another hour-long stream, was that um, at least uh, the the tunes were good and the music was lovely and the words were meh, here and there. But the music was good. The problem is none of it's been written in the last century or two. And these are exactly the kind of hymns, for instance, or Christmas tunes that you don't see in the church now because it's become far too modern for we three kings and all the rest of that but um i think you were going to close with an example of a church which at least still clings to some of its musical tradition <laughs> yes so this is a lovely little comparison so this was um this was last uh east no two two easters ago i believe well it was, it was in lockdown at any rate so i think it was at the first easter in lockdown uh so this is the Archbishop of the third largest denomination or communion of Christians in the world, giving uh, a sermon on the most important by far day in the entire Christian calendar from his kitchen. Easter Day, where we will celebrate together the story of God's saving work in the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. In common with the rest of the clergy and people of the Church of England, we're each at home where we've recorded our own parts of the service. At this very difficult time in the life of the nation and of the world, our prayers today are especially with those who are suffering, with those who care for them, and for all who mourn. We oh, here we are. know that not all superheroes wears a cape. In these days, we are becoming more and more grateful for the incredible work of our key workers caroline my so yeah nothing nothing much about christ uh, lots about key workers and difficulties and covid and yeah, all the move, rest of move it. off the tricky christian bit as far as and quickly as you possibly can praise the nhs it's the just NHS. so uninspiring and his voice is so i suppose i shouldn't criticize something he can't help but it, it compared to rowan williams oh, no, he's so tedious. no he just makes me want to commit self-harm <laughs> Um, well you know, the, no it's, it's the church of the nhs the nh well we giveth the nhs taketh away yeah yeah but uh there was, a better, there was an example of a slightly more inspired <laughs> one, which i think so better. yeah compare that to and this to, to be fair this isn't an easter service but i guarantee that anyone listening who ever takes themselves to an orthodox easter service will see what i mean but compare that to this
So pretty, pretty spellbinding stuff there. And that's what you'll get in your average uh, Orthodox parish. Um, and the Orthodox, it must be said, know how to cling on to their traditions. And that, that, that is pretty much their, uh, not their raison d'etre. Um, that would be insulting, but um, and not true. But but uh, that is what they're known for, and that's what they pride themselves on. Not changing a damn thing about the tradition that they have inherited, for you know, over the last two thousand years. And um, you won't find them doing what the Church of England has been doing, that's for sure, or indeed what the Roman Catholic Church has been doing in more more of a slow motion. There you go. You get a little bit of everything on this channel, up to and including evangelism. Please like and subscribe if you like this video from the Little Platoon. <laughs>